Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And on today's podcast, we wanted to talk a little more policy with y'all. Don't worry, Luke and I will be back next week to pick up on the politics. But today I wanted to learn a little bit more about how the pandemic has impacted working Georgians and people with lower incomes in our state. State leaders have touted their response to the pandemic. It's a response that they say has protected people's health and the state's economy. And they often point out that Georgia's unemployment rate is lower than a lot of other states that impose more strict lockdowns in response to COVID-19. But that does not mean that the recovery has been felt equitably across Georgia's workforce. And so today we're talking with Alex Kamardell, a senior policy analyst at the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Alex produces research showing ways to reduce poverty, improve social services, and provide support for Georgia's workforce. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. There's been a lot of optimism about the state of Georgia's economy among leading public officials in our state. But over the last year, we've also seen reports consistently of record numbers of unemployment claims of all of the hardship that people are facing in the middle of a global pandemic. So beyond some of the top line economic numbers, what are some of the challenges that working people and people with low and and moderate incomes are facing in Georgia today? Yeah, that that is an important uh, question because framing has been one of the most contentious issues, I think, over the last year. And even before the pandemic, it was, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we saw specifically in Georgia, quite honestly, historically low unemployment rates. Um, When you just look at the cut and dry numbers, aggregate unemployment statewide. But whenever you drill further into that, when you look at it in terms of gender, as in terms of race and ethnicity, or even in terms of geography, like where you live across the state of Georgia, unemployment rates weren't necessarily that low, right? They were include, especially in more rural areas, you could find double digit unemployment. Labor markets were very difficult in places outside of Metro Atlanta before the pandemic occurred. Now, fast forward to today, or rather March, rather, March 2020, rather, whenever we hit the pandemic, whenever things really shut down for us, uh, labor markets became, you know, erratic even more during that time period. And those who suffered higher rates of unemployment uh, or were more likely to be disconnected to the labor force or were in occupations that uh, were more vulnerable to layoffs and and recessions generally like hospitality and restaurant food workers, uh, those folks felt, you know, extreme harm, um, you know, on top of what they were already dealing with pre-pandemic. Uh, which, quite frankly, you know, they were not in a recovery posture. They weren't recovering from the previous recession. Um, so this just added, you know, additional pressure and, and harm, economic harm to those folks. So I think the framing is imp- an important, you know, thing to discuss because we were celebrating low unemployment and we continue to celebrate, you know, Georgia's quick return or, you know, well, quicker than other states, I think, return to a lower unemployment rate, um, but don't realize, recognize that that is not truly capturing the economic picture of everybody who's been harmed the most. Um, if you look just at job losses, all of the job losses, like I mentioned, were really concentrated in like the hospitality, food worker, retail, low-wage industries. And uh, statistically, those jobs are taking the longest to come back, while those who work in occupations that have a bit higher earnings threshold 
those have pretty much returned to their pre-pandemic level. So we're seeing a pretty uneven recovery here in Georgia. The Georgia Department of Labor has been under a lot of scrutiny over delayed unemployment insurance payments, backlogged claims, people having difficulty getting information from the department because of clogged phone lines and closed service centers. Could you first help our listeners with a little bit of background about Georgia's unemployment insurance programs? Who qualified for unemployment insurance before the pandemic? And and we have some new programs created by Congress during the pandemic that may be where we're seeing some of this backlog, right? Yep, yep. So the Department of Labor, um, well, to back up, unemployment insurance uh, is probably one of the most outdated uh, programs, safety net programs that that exists in, in the country. Um, you know, it was birthed out of the Great Depression in the 1930s, and the system itself, uh, both at the federal level and at the state level, has only uh, been fixed with very modest reforms since then. Fundamentally, the labor market that it was formed to address back then does not exist anymore today, right? Which really created the need for the the, the new programs that were established at the federal level um, during the pandemic. But before the pandemic, before those new federal programs existed, there was just regular state unemployment insurance. And in order to be eligible for that, you had to have a base level of earnings and you had to have a work history, a pretty you know consistent work history. And a lot of people, again, who work in those more volatile occupations where there are variable work hours, et cetera, they didn't actually always qualify for unemployment insurance. It wasn't the 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 safe um, the safeguard for them. Prior to the pandemic, unemployment insurance only covered seventeen percent of all of Georgia's unemployed workers. So less than a fifth of Georgia's unemployed actually were able to access unemployment insurance. Again, because there are a lot of stringent requirements in terms of earnings and work hours in order to remain eligible. So uh, when we got into the peak of the pandemic, you know, the CARES Act was able to establish programs to invite in new, a new class of workers. And that includes those who are self-employed, who are gig workers, and they were eligible for assistance under what's now called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. That, you know, has shown that there have been hundreds of thousands of Georgia workers who have been misclassified and unable to access unemployment before. We've had consistently six-figure digits, uh, digit PUA claimants um, over the last year. And it has really shown, I think, everyone that a lot of people have mixed earnings, so they may be working a full-time gig as a W-2 employee, but they may may also be self-employed or they're exclusively self-employed in some way or shape or form. Um, And prior to 2020, they would have never gotten access to to any form of assistance, but now they have access to that assistance. And what it's done is it has created a bit of a challenge for states because they've had to establish an entirely new system to support those workers, to you know, screen them for eligibility, uh, to make determinations for them, and uh, really a, a short amount of time in a matter of weeks, right? They had, states had to stand up these new programs. Um, with administrative funding, I must say that, you know, states weren't held out 
you know, to dry on this. They were given uh, resources, substantial resources to create these new programs. Um, but states had to do, you know, some pretty fascinating and innovative things in a very short amount of time to make sure they could meet the need of, again, the hundreds of thousands of new people as- accessing unemployment that would have never been eligible before. Now, as people have been stuck in these backlogs or had delays in getting their claims paid, there has been some criticism about the state not providing additional funding on its own to the department to handle these claims. State officials, as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, they also declined to use some uh, federal coronavirus relief fund money to help the department. And state officials have said that it's not necessary because the department has gotten all of this other significant federal funding that they think should be adequate. But can you help us understand this funding situation? Does the state need to find more resources for the department? And and what does a lack of resources help explain about how the department has responded to the pandemic? Yeah, I have a lot to say on this. So um, I think the, the status quo is let's rely on as much federal funding as possible so that we never have to raise revenue and put state funding into our programs and services for people that need it the most. That is literally the status quo. And in the Department of Labor is no exception to that rule. I think over the last several of years, uh, DOL's administrative funding, so the funds that support like the IT systems and the staff, like the people that work there has largely been formula driven. So whenever, you know, the labor market is improving and unemployment is low, then the agency doesn't get as much funding to support staff, right? Um, In fact, at the start of the pandemic, we're working with half of the uh, staff capacity that the Department of Labor had during the Great Recession. So they had really downsized afterwards because they didn't necessarily see the need well, you can't anticipate a recession most of the time. You definitely can't anticipate a major pandemic. Quite frankly, the Department of Labor, you know, as we've seen it, has been like the line of defense for people who are laid off of work during, you know, unknown times, you know, through no fault of their own. They need to be recession proof at all times. And the Department of Labor has not been recession proof. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have not put up additional funding to support the staff capacity at the agency to deal with, you know, un, you know unanticipated events like what we're experiencing right now. The uh, CARES Act and the Families First Coronavirus, Coronavirus Response Act and even the current Continuing Assistance Act All of these programs have provided additional administrative funding to stand up new programs. These are, you know, for the most part, not going to be permanent funding structures. They're going to go away. Um, But what's interesting is that, you know, even though the department and particularly the commissioner has shared that the state is is able to use those federal funds, there's still a concern in the, you know, from the commissioner himself about the ability to address the backlog in claims, about the outdated IT system and having to create new IT systems, 
Um, you know, over four and a half million people have filed for unemployment insurance just in the last year. That is an unprecedented demand that the agency has never seen before. After yesterday's hearing, we actually learned that there are over 140,000 appeals cases for unemployment insurance that are backlogged. So I don't think that the, the, the rhetoric necessarily matches the reality of the situation. The rhetoric being that we don't need additional state funds to address the backlog. Uh, the reality being that the backlog is extreme and people are still waiting on, on tons of benefits. Um, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the extreme stress uh, that the workers at the agency have been dealing with. Been working, you know, overtime, mandatory overtime, um, trying to process these claims. Um, they've also experienced cases of COVID themselves at the agency. Um, my understanding is that there were um, some fatalities from COVID-19 in the last year from among DOL staff. Um, even though they have been working remotely throughout this entire period of time. So I, I think that the, the reality, you know, uh, definitely justifies greater and bolder state investment in the, in the department. I don't know why the department isn't demanding greater state investment right now. Um, bipartisan uh, folks in the General Assembly have even asked, I watched a Republican leader and a Democratic leader yesterday, Ask the commissioner um, if if there is enough there multiple times, kind of like saying, are you sure <laughs> you have what you need? And um, the commissioner insisted that they have what they need. So, yeah, a little interesting uh, uh, game being played, I think. But uh, fundamentally, I don't think that the current state of funding for the department is uh, matching matching the need in Georgia. So you've also done some analysis of the budget for the Georgia Department of Human Services, and that's another state agency that's played a key role in the state's response to the pandemic. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about a little bit about what that department does related to the pandemic's response? And is that department funded adequately to respond to COVID-19 in this economic crisis? Sure. So for those who don't know, the Department of Human Services is one of the agencies that administers big programs to support our federal uh, public benefits programs like food assistance through the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or SNAP, still commonly referred to as food stamps. Um, there's also temporary assistance for needy families or TANF, which is direct cash assistance to very low or no income families. Uh, there's Medicaid as well. There's childcare assistance. So most of the big well-known uh, public benefit programs are administered by the Department of Human Services. Um, these are all programs that prevent folks from falling deeper into poverty whenever they lose household income, whenever they have disruptions in work, or if they can't work at all. Uh, so during the pandemic, there were record numbers in terms of folks turning to food assistance or food stamps over the last year because people lost their jobs and groceries are expensive. And there was, you know, a record number of folks turning to Medicaid as well, considering folks lost their employer-sponsored health coverage whenever they had to, to leave work and they couldn't afford maybe COBRA coverage or other forms of health insurance. Uh, the Department of Labor, um, excuse me, the Department of Human Services has to screen folks for eligibility for those programs. So an applicant goes to the DHS website, 
um, there is an online eligibility, el eligibility system, excuse me, uh, called Gateway. And you submit your information and you're offered a determination whether you're eligible for food stamps or not uh, through that vehicle. And a lot of expansions were, were created during the pandemic. Uh, to allow folks to have to submit, you know, just very minimal paperwork um, for those programs. However, um, a lot of the staff at that agency, just as uh, at DOL, are also under the gun, working overtime, having to do double duty, and uh, are, are really stressed <laughs> trying to get applications processed, trying to get people the help that they need. And the um, standard of promptness, the turnaround time on getting people approved for benefits has been lagging for several years. So much so that Georgia has been under a consent decree to make sure that we're hitting the mark on getting people the benefits that they need. And that was up until the pandemic actually occurred. Right now, the funding for the Department of Human Services is still $26 million less than it was pre-pandemic in the 2020 fiscal year. We have not boosted our investment in the department specifically for getting additional staff for federal eligibility benefits um, screening services. In addition to that, um, I wanna talk about temporary assistance for needy families really quickly, which is TANF. That is a major block granting program that's administered by the state of Georgia through DHS. TANF has been essentially treated like a treasure trove for other components of the state budget, uh, the least of which are those who are in deep poverty. About five out of every 100 people that are eligible, that are in poverty are actually able to get access to cash aid through the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program. And this current budget proposal continues the tradition of not increasing aid for those who are actually needy. There is no additional funding for cash assistance in the budget uh, for those who are in, in deep poverty. Um, so that is something that is a red flag. Um, I think that Georgia has additional savings through TANF reserves, you know, unspent TANF dollars kind of just sitting in the treasury that could be going directly to families who are in deep need that isn't being used right now. Um, and that is, you know, a, a very big concern should be reflected in the budget, even if it's a federal uh, uh, federal block grant, it can still be reflected in the budget as something that the state is going to do um, to to help people in, in deep poverty. Um, so those are some of the, the key insights from the DHS uh, budget so far. So across DHS, across the Department of Labor, across the what you mentioned about TANF there, it does sound like there have been a lot of shortcomings to the state's response to COVID-19 broadly, particularly for people with lower incomes. What would a state-level response to COVID that was more equitable and more effective for people with low incomes, what would that have looked like? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, it's big investment in, this, in the social safety net and welfare programs and public benefit programs. It's It's spending money. It is, you know, putting money into cash aid to help folks uh, mitigate, you know, evictions or, um, or hunger. 
Um, you know, it's making sure that the D Department of Labor is shored up in terms of its staff capacity and its IT systems to be able to take on any type of unexpected or unpredictable uh, event like what we're experiencing right now. Um, it's, it's about making wise investments into these systems so that whenever those unpredictable events do happen, uh, we're not, you know, basically scratching the surface of, of, of getting aid to people. We're actually um, ready and equipped to, to make it happen. Uh, we know that whenever states do invest a bunch of money into uh, public assistance, um, that you can actually avoid expanding inequities, both economic and racial inequities, and whenever compared to states that don't invest. Um, Georgia has historically turned to cuts whenever it's time to address any funding shortfalls or if there is a recession. You know, we cut programs, we cut services, we cut education, uh, we cut health care. And those have long lasting implications, generational implications um, for, for people, especially those who are um, low wage workers um, or near the poverty line or, or living below the poverty line. So it's time for us to really do the opposite and raise revenue and invest in services so that we can um, really emerge from this in a more equitable fashion. I think, uh, you know, there's the newly minted Treasury Secretary who's been stating recently that the cost of doing nothing is much higher, you know, in, in this circumstance in terms of, you know, stimulus and recovery. And, um, you know, Georgia has an opportunity to really do a lot here. Um, I, I would I'd be remiss if I didn't note that Georgia has over $2 billion in reserves and the shortfall reserve that's going untouched right now uh, while we're still maintaining massive cuts to public services. Um, I mentioned earlier that there's over, um, I didn't say the dollar amount, but there's over $70 million in TANF reserves, unspent TANF dollars. That's cash that can just go straight to people. Um, so we're, we're, we're sitting on money <laughs> um, that could go out to people. Uh, you mentioned earlier that there is federal dollars that the Department of Labor hasn't used. That's true um, to implement the short-term compensation program so employers don't have to lay off folks immediately. Um, the, the feds are offering, you know, 100% reimbursement for that. In addition to the administrative funding, we haven't chosen to, to draw down on that. Um, don't even get me started on Medicaid. We are a non-Medicaid expansion state. We've, you know, clearly, uh, wasting billions and billions of dollars each year by not expanding Medicaid to all who, uh, fall within the coverage gap, uh, during a public health crisis. So, those are just some of the things that, you know, I think are important for uh, us being recession proof and really, you know, for guaranteeing a more equitable recovery. Because right now, uh, with our cuts only approach, we're, we're, you know, guaranteeing every Georgian a, a pretty rocky road to, to recovery, one that many, uh, quite frankly, will never see. Yeah, it sounds like we're missing a lot of opportunities to help people in this crisis. Um, Alex, your work has been vital in, in my understanding of these issues. If our listeners want to learn more about the work that you're doing, about the work that GBPI is doing, how could they do that? 
Absolutely. So you can visit our website where we have a world of resources related to these issues at www.gbpi.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at GA budget at GA budget. And of course, um, you can reach out to me. My contact information is on GBPI's website. I'm happy to talk about these issues. And um, and if you follow our, our Twitter account, you can find me, uh, I think, retweeted several times. And I am uh, uh, definitely on there ranting and raving about budgets and the safety net 24-7. Uh, so those are some ways to, to catch up with us and have continue this conversation. Alex Kamardell from the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kyle. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.